0: Oh, in this place. We walk not quiet. Yet. We shout out your friends. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Y'all can do better than that. Come on, give Jesus a praise offering this morning. Amen. He's worthy of our praise. You can be seated. Good morning. My name is Tom. For those of you that don't know who I am, we're so glad that each one of you are here this morning. And we're glad for all of you that are joining us online. Welcome. We're so glad you're tuning in with us this morning. Maybe you're our guest this morning. Maybe this is your first time, second time or third time. We really want to extend a warm welcome to you. And if this is uh, one of those times for you, welcome. We're so glad that you're here and we're trusting that uh, this feels home to you, and for those of you that have been ha- around here for a while, find somebody that maybe you don 't know because maybe they 're brand new this morning. Make them feel welcome, make each other feel welcome as we 're in the house of the Lord, because this is the place where we find joy amen well god um, there's seasons that we all have in our life, and so seasons are sometimes we 're around people, and then sometimes we leave and we go start another adventure and so Bob, why don 't you come on up and we have a family that has been with us for a long, for a good while, and they're going to be leaving us, and we want to send them off um, with prayers of blessings this morning. Andrew and Lauren.
2: Where's Andrew? Where? Oh, there we are. And Shiloh, come on up. The price is right. I would pronounce your last name, but I uh, Gun- Gunlock. Gunlock. That's easy. Well, we have grown to love this family, and this little one for a year. Good thing she has a mama, because she's cute. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I'd like to have, as I'm uh, talking briefly, I'd like to have any of the Wednesday morning men uh, that go to our prayer group, if you'd come up and join us, please. This is not, we're not uh, ignoring uh, Lauren here at all, but Andrew has been such an important part of our Wednesday mornings until this COVID thing, and and he hasn't been able to attend. But you know, as as you see, most of us are a li- little bit older than him.
1: <laughs>
2: and uh, but this is a case where uh, a young man inspires the old men. Amen. Uh, Andrew is so strong in the word and uh his Lauren and he just are just a remarkable family and we're going to miss them. Texas is getting a a, a great gain here and I don't know, are you I know this your last Sunday, you're moving though? I'm moving on Wednesday. I and be you? it'll be a week later. Okay. Well, I, we saw the pictures of your home and it looks very nice and Anyway, we're going to miss this family tremendously, but we wanted to say goodbye and thank you for your ministry to us, your fellowship with us, and uh, God bless you, little girl. She's a sweetie. So uh, I'm just going to have a (laughs) prayer. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have a prayer now for them. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for Andrew and Lauren and, and Shiloh. What a blessing they have been to us over the years, and it's just been so exciting to see their involvement for you Mm -hmm. and how we have benefited from it, Lord, from this fellowship. And and we just pray a special blessing now as they move off to Texas that they find a a home church, Mm -hmm. they get involved immediately. And uh, the fellowship uh, that they can offer and that they will enjoy from that group, I just pray will just help them to continue to grow in you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jesus, so much for this time that we've had with them. And we just pray a special blessing upon them. We we'll give you the encouragement and uh, praise in your name. Amen. Amen.
0: for me, Lord of
3: this time i'd like to invite the ushers forward let's just say a a prayer to god and just god heavenly father just thank you for everything that you give to all of us thank you for providing for us in times of need and thank you when we can give back to you all that we have you are an incredible god an incredible father and just thank you for this wonderful group that was able to make it here on this daylight savings just to worship you and just to be close to you, God. Thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. All of us. You are you are amazing. And just sending your son so that you know he could pour out his blood for us. It's absolutely incredible. So amazing. God, and just put your hand on Pastor Tom today and just speak through him and you know put put words in his mouth of how how we can come to you and how we can be close to you, God. Just thank you that for everything that you've done for each and every one of us. God. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Imagine with me this morning a conference table. Around the conference table you see sitting God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're talking about creating the heavens and the earth. As they talk about the details of planet earth, they, got, they get to the subject of mankind, human beings. They say to each other, we are going to create mankind. They are going to look like us. They are going to act like us. We are going to place them on the earth and make them responsible for all the animals in the sea and the land, and over everything we've created. We're going to give them a unique characteristic that we won't give to any other being that is created. We are going to give them a free will. Free choice. In fact, we are going to allow them to make the greatest choice they can make, which is this. Mankind can decide whether or not They will obey and worship us. God the Father raises hands to pause the conversation. After a moment, He says, mankind will make the choice that we don't want them to make. They will choose to bow their knee to another and disobey us. This choice will sever our relationship with them. This choice will deny them access into our presence. In fact, if they ever do come in our presence, they'll cease to exist. Are we going to fix this problem? If so, how are we going to fix it? As the triune God discuss and answer these questions... God the Son stands up. He looks deep into the eyes of Father God and says, I'll do it. I will become a human being. And in doing so, I will freely give my life and pay the penalty for their choice. And when any human being receives our free gift of grace through faith, our relationship with them, and their relationship with us will be restored forever. In Philippians chapter 2, we read, Although Jesus existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. The plan of salvation, the price to be paid on be, on mankind's behalf, was not decided upon once sin entered the world. It was predetermined before the foundations of the world were even created. Acts chapter 2 verse 23. In uh, Peter's great sermon there after the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost. He says, This man, Jesus, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed him to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery the hidden wisdom with God predestined before the ages of our glory the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood for if they had understood it they would not have crucified the lord of glory he's talking about the rulers of this age Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us who those are. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of this world. And so it's talking about demon and uh, the devil and all of his demons. And the scripture says that because they didn't, they didn't know what God's plan it was hidden him in the in mystery. He didn't let them know about it because if they, if they had known about it, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus their Lord, because he stepped on their heads. Amen? 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. For Jesus was foreknown or chosen before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last days for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Father's God, Father God's predetermined plan has always been to send His Son, Jesus, into the world to die a criminal's death, satisfying God's wrath for sin. Well, for the past year, we have been looking at the book of Matthew. In the account of Matthew's, Matthew's account of Jesus entering planet Earth, teaching us about Father's God, Father God, telling us how the kingdom of God operates. And today, we arrive at the climax of Matthew's gospel. The last section, chapters 26, 27, and 28, these chapters describe the climax of, re, of the redemptive, of redemptive history, the greatest event in the history of the world The greatest source of hope in the heart of any man or woman who ever lived. The cross of Jesus Christ. Everything in the story of Jesus gathers around the cross. Nobody can be a Christ follower without the cross of Christ. It is the focal point. This is why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2 2 says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. Or on your phone or tablet or whatever you use to look at the Word of God. Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at the first 35 verses of the chapter this morning. Jesus has just finished teaching His disciples about the second coming. For the last number of weeks, that's what we've been looking at: is Jesus' second coming, chapters 23, 24, 25. And so he's been teaching them that. And after he finished those sayings, he makes a hard turn, and he begins talking with his disciple. And one moment he's talking about the end times; one moment, the next, he's talking about being crucified. Look with me at verses one and two of Matthew 26. When Jesus had finished all of these sayings, the sayings of the second coming, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now this is the fourth time in the book of Matthew that Jesus has told his disciples that he's going to be crucified. Um, The first time we see that in Matthew 16, 21. And it says, For that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. That was the first time. The second time, we looked in Matthew 17:22, 22, and Jesus basically says the same thing. He says, Hey, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise on the third day. The third time, again, the same thing. Matthew 20, verses 17 to 19, he says the same thing. We see that Jesus has been preparing his disciples for this moment. As we just talked about, this is the climax. This is the reason that Jesus came. And if, 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 the gosp- if any of the Gospels stopped right here where we are today... We wouldn't be sitting here. Because without Jesus going to the cross, everything that God planned is pointless. So he repeatedly is telling these men about his final destination, the cross. The fourth and final time here that we just read is just a bit different. This time he says, Listen, guys, time's up. It's time. I've been telling you, and I've been telling you, and I've been telling you, and now. There's only a few days left before I'm handed over to be crucified. And now at the same time as Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, verse 2 tells us that, this, that the chief priests and all the elders of the, uh, of the Israelites are meeting together and they are plotting together. To kill Jesus, their anger for Jesus, their distaste for Jesus had grown so much that the only thing that they could think of doing, they just wanted to eliminate him and to kill him. And so Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, time's up. These other men are over here and they're devising a plan and a scheme of how they can arrest Jesus and how they can kill him. The only thing they're afraid of, though, is the crowd because this is 2 days before the passover and so jerusalem is just stuffed with people and so they didn't want to cause a riot but they still wanted to see if they could secretly seize jesus and kill him so the stage is set jesus knows that it's time for him to do what he agreed to do before the foundations of the world was made die on a cross The chief priests have allowed their anger of Jesus to grow to the point that killing him was the only thing to bring them satisfaction. Now that Matthew has our attention, he pushes the pause button. And beginning in verse 6, Matthew rewinds the film the six days before the Passover and shows us an act of worship that is over the top. Followed by an act of betrayal in verse 14, Matthew then pushes the fast-forward button And he goes to the actual day of the Passover in verse 17, where we witness another act of worship, followed by another act of betrayal foretold. Worship, betrayal, worship, betrayal. That's our path here this morning. I invite you to stand, if you would, with me. And let's read Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to start at verse 6. Matthew 26, verse 6. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were, indig- they were indignant, saying, what? Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor." But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring out this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Father God, we thank you for your word. And as we study it this morning, Holy Spirit, guide us, lead us, teach us what you have for us to hear this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So remember, we start here in verse 6, and Matthew has pushed the pause button. And even though it doesn't say it here in Matthew, in John chapter 20, it is the same account that we're looking at here in Matthew. And uh, John's account in chapter 12, John chapter 12, it tells us that it's six days before the Passover. And so six days before the Passover, Jesus comes to the town of Bethany. And his, his best friends lived there, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, um, if you remember them. And in fact, this incident takes place just shortly after Jesus uh, brought Lazarus from the dead. And so they're here. Jesus is here in Bethany, and he is invited into the house of Simon the leper for a meal. It seems obvious that Jesus healed Simon of leprosy. And because if Simon was still sick by law, he wouldn't be able to be around people, let alone have people in his home. So Jesus has miraculously healed him, and he invites Jesus over into his home to say thank you. And as they're reclined at the table, it says that Mary, again in John, in John's gospel, we know that it's Mary. Martha is serving, Lazarus reclined at the table with Jesus, and Martha is... Comes into, or I'm sorry, Mary comes into the room and she takes this very expensive bottle, an alabaster bottle of perfume, and pours it over Jesus' head. And then, of course, the disciples, in Matthew's account, it says that the disciples, they were all indignant, they got offended, they were upset. In John's gospel, it actually tells us that Judas Iscariot was the one who started that conversation. He's the one that complained first and said, what waste? And then the rest of the disciples joined him in what he was saying. But the jar, notice the jar and the perfume are expensive. And we'll come back to that in a minute. Let me ask you, what would would your reaction be if someone walked into this room and had a bottle of Chanel Number 5 and poured it over somebody's head? We'd go, what in the world? How weird can you be? Right? Well, to us, in today, in 2022, that's weird. None of us would do it. Maybe someone should come next week when Carrie's preaching and try it. No, anyway, I'm kidding. But we'd think it's weird, right? But in their custom, in Bible times, this was not abnormal. This was not a weird act. And so the act itself of Mary pouring the perfume over Jesus, um, that wasn't what the disciples got upset about. And in fact, this was a... uh, the act was considered the highest piece of respect. The smell was very grateful, and the ointment itself was refreshing to the head. But what they're upset about is they're upset about the cost. And they say, what waste... That could have been sold because what it was, this perfume was worth 300 denarii, which was a person, a year's worth of income. And so think about if you took your year's worth of income and bought a bottle of perfume and then you poured it over someone's head. This is what Mary did. And so they took offense and they got upset. And Jesus said, leave her alone. She's not doing anything wrong. In fact, she's preparing me for my burial. The poor you will always have with you. And so that's the scene, and that's what's going on here. So let's look at this a little closer. In verse 7, so what do we see here in these verses that we've just talked about? Well, first of all, in verse 7, we see extravagant worship. Extravagant worship. Mary takes this bottle of perfume. Who knows how long it took her to save up the money for it. Who knows what she was saving it for. But it was precious to her, I'm sure. But the, co- the costliness of her sacrifice expressed the depth of her devotion for the Lord, saying, in effect, that there was nothing too good for him. Remember that Mary is the one that, that earlier sat at the feet of Jesus. And her sister Martha was in the kitchen clean uh, making dinner. And she finally comes out whining, Jesus, tell my, tell my sister to come help me. Right? She's tired. She's whining. She's getting more and more angry. But Jesus said, no. What Mary has chosen to do will not be taken away from her because she's chosen the best thing. She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what Martha should have done, instead of going back into the kitchen to finish lunch, she should have have taken her pot, sat right down at the foot of Jesus, put the pot right next to him and said, All right, I'm going to sit down here too. And if you and the disciples want lunch, you figure it out. That's what she should have done. And yet again, in John's John's account in chapter 12, it says Martha's serving again. Martha's serving again. But I bet, even though the text doesn't tell us, I think uh, Mary was at the feet of Jesus again, in this instance, just like she was previously. And she was there at the feet of Jesus. And she got so overwhelmed and so enamored at who her Savior was. And she probably had heard, just like the other dis- uh, the disciples did, she probably had heard Jesus say, yo, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again. I think Mary got it. Scripture doesn't tell us, but it's possible. But either way, whether she got it or not, whether she understood the fact that Jesus was going to be put in the grave... Her overwhelming love for him caused her to take the best thing she had and give it to Jesus as an act of worship. That's extravagant worship. That's worship that's over the top. That's the type of worship that knows no boundaries, that is not hindered by anything. In fact... She didn't even consider how people around her would would respond. She didn't care about them. She didn't care if people were going to say, what a waste. She wasn't going to care what they thought of her, her love and undying devotion for her Savior and her Lord were greater than what anybody else could ever say. That is extravagant worship. Mary's was so in love with Jesus that at that moment she had to show Jesus her undying love and devotion. In this instance, it was expressed by pouring expensive perfume over his head. And as I just shared with you another time, it was expressed with her sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging on every word he said, instead of helping her sister Martha prepare a meal. So first of all, in verse 7, we see extravagant Worship. In verse 11, we see that worship is better than service. Jesus said, get off her back. You're always going to have the poor with you. And Jesus is quoting from uh, Leviticus or Deuteronomy where Moses told the children of Israel, you're going to always have the poor with you. And so basically what Jesus is saying, there's always going to be time for acts of service but not at the expense of worshiping Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you don't do acts of service. But you know what? Your acts of service, if you don't spend time with Jesus, your acts of service could be void of His power, of His anointing, and of His calling on your life. And so... We see that worship is better than service, learning better than doing. 2 Peter verse 3, I mean chapter 3, and verse 18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Learning better than doing. Sitting at the feet of the Savior is better than busyness We've already talked about this story. The Lord said, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. And then in verse 13, we see that the Lord loves to reward faithful devotion to him and it is the only thing we do that will truly last forever. And that's where Jesus said, at the, at the, in the verse 16, he said, she's going to be remembered. Think about it. Today, we're talking about Mary. She lived 2,000 years ago. And Jesus said that her act of service will stay around forever. And every time the gospel is preached, she's going to be brought up as one of those that extravagantly worship to jesus hebrews 11 verse 6 says and without faith it is impossible to please god for he who comes to god must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him so that's great but here's the question how do we become extravagant worshipers Number one, regularly sit at the feet of Jesus by studying and applying God's word. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved unto God. Um, We're going to skip to Ezra's chapter 7 verse 10. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinance in Israel. So study and apply God's word. Two, regularly sit at the feet of Jesus by meditating on God's word. Joshua 1.8, God told Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Regularly sit at the feet of Jesus by letting God's word live in your heart. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So we need to be studying God's word. We need to be meditating on God's word. We need to be allowing God's word to be planted deep in our hearts so that it dwells there. And lastly, become completely enamored with Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So we have heart, we have soul, which is our mind, our will, and the emotions. And the word might there talks about our resources, our physical resources. So with our finances, with the gifts and natural talents and abilities that God has given us, with all of those things, we worship God And we say, God, we love you as we use them for his honor and glory. And then five, bring tremendous honor to Jesus by the things that you do. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So studying God's word, meditating on God's word, God's word planted in our heart, allowing ourselves to be enamored. Are you in love with Jesus more today than you were yesterday? That love for Jesus should continue to grow. And the only way that we cultivate that is by doing what Mary did and sitting at Jesus' feet, looking in his eyes on a regular basis and saying, Who are you? Teach me. How have you made me? Why have you made me? Who are you? What have you done for me? And then there's just times where we just plain and simply worship Him and say, I'm not here for anything today. I just want to worship you and give you honor and glory because you're worth it, even if you do another thing for me. Well, moving on into verse 14 to 16, we see betrayal. And we see here that, again, we said that Judas was the one that got offended. He was the main one that got offended offended there. And um, and in John 12, it tells us why. So he said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Listen, watch, look at this. Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor. He wasn't concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, Jesus entrusted him with the purse for the disciples. And he carried it around. He was in charge of it. He used to pilfer what was put into it. So he was stealing. That takes a lot of nerve to steal from Jesus. And yet here he is. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. And yet Judas just kept Taking what he wanted whenever he wanted. And so he was offended by this. And for him, I think this might have been just kind of the last straw. He's like, all right, I've had enough. This isn't going the way I thought it was going to go. Remember, we talked, um, I don't know, sometime last year when I preached and talked about we need to see the, the biblical account through the eyes of the disciples. And they thought Jesus was coming to establish his earthly kingdom. And, and he kept telling them, no, that's not why I'm here. No, that's not why I'm here. No, that's not why I'm here. I think Judas got frustrated. And so at, right after this meal, he went straight to the chief priest and he said, what, are you gonna, what will you give me? If I turn him over to you, what will you give me? And so they agreed upon 30 pieces of silver, which is actually the price of a slave. And then from that moment on, he started looking for the opportunity when he might be able to betray Jesus and hand him over to the authorities. So Jesus, Jude, um, his betrayal required action. He had to go someplace. He had to go out of his way to choose to betray Jesus. Judas was a betrayer. Judas was a betrayer by his own choice. Judas was a betrayer who rejected grace and rejected the offer of salvation and rejected the grace that Christ presented to him on a personal level. Judas rejected all of that and made his own choice. He was not a good man. He was a thief, as we just saw. He loved money. He had no desire for the salvation of the world or to see people get saved. He sold Jesus for money. That's all he wanted. He wanted money. That was all he cared about. So what do we see in verses 14 to 16 as we look at this story of Judas? We see that Judas never let Jesus change his character or transform his life. He spent three years with the Savior. But he didn't allow what God was teaching him to change his life. And we already looked at there at verse 6. Again, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. Which tells us that, Jesus, that Judas lived a lifestyle that involved intentional sin. It's one thing to maybe take some money from the bag. But it tells us that Judas took continually. He always took. And so therefore, that act of taking and never choosing to stop what he was doing turned into an intentional sin. He chose to do it. Judas pursued sin. And then Jesus made a conscious, deliberate choice. To betray Jesus. Now we've all been there. We've all had moments. That we've maybe considered. Betraying Jesus. Or turning our back on him. Or maybe we've just kind of gotten. Lax about our Christian walk. And we haven't stayed in the word. or, Or things like that. So here's the question. How do we keep ourselves. From intentionally sinning. Against God. The first thing is. Get rid of the roadblocks. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Note, don't let sin itself or thoughts of sin hang around you. Get rid of it. Get rid of it immediately because you're just playing with fire. Get rid of it immediately. That's what Hebrews chapter 12 is telling us. Let's let that go. Lay aside every encumbrance, those roadblocks. Set aside the sin. We all have that thing which maybe still keeps tripping us up. Set that aside. Get rid of it. And instead of, as you get rid of that, run God's race and never quit. The second part of Verse 1 there says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, endurance. We hang in there. We don't quit. No matter how tough it gets, we want to hang in there and just keep on running. Now, if we were just keeping running on our own power, we'd fall every time. But Hebrews 12 verse 2 tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how we have success. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Study how Jesus ran his race. That's what we've been doing for the past year, as we've been looking at the book of Matthew. He never, Jesus never lost sight of where he was headed, and he was headed to the cross. And he never let that, nothing, never let anything get in his way of him seeing that. He put up with the cross, shame, and everything the kingdom of darkness could throw at him. And now Jesus is sitting in the place of honor right alongside Father God. Don't grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews 12.3 says, For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Go over the story of Jesus again and again and again, item by item, the long litany of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your soul as you look to Jesus. Well, as we keep going here into verse 17, we see again another act of worship. And fasten your seatbelts because here I go. We're going to skip 17 and 18. Just know this much, that Jesus sends his disciples and tells them to go prepare the dinner. And he tells them where to go prepare the Passover meal. So we are right here. Um, So we were six days away now we're fast forward and now we're on the day of the passover the disciples go to prepare the room and in verse and in verse 20 we see jesus reclining at the table with the 12 and then it stops right there in verse 20 that's all that um matthew tells us but there was a lot that happened between verses 20 and verse 21 here we go ready the meal began when they, when they drank the first cup, which symbolized God's blessing in the Passover feast. Next, they would wash their hands. A ceremonial washing, they needed to recognize the need for personal holiness, for personal cleansing. And then about this time, Luke chapter 22 tells us the disciples got into an argument. Can you guess what the subject was? Who's going to be the greatest? Again, Right? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus shows him the complete, perfect picture of humility. Puts a towel around his waist and he washes all their feet. And so through his actions, and then he also then tells them and tells them, listen, get rid of your pride. He shows them the right way. The third part of the Passover feast was the bitter herbs. And so the bitter herbs symbolize the bitterness of bondage and in Egypt. And this was combined with unleavened bread and, I might say this wrong, corset. I don't know if I said that right. Anyway, it's a sauce that's made at the Passover, and they dip the bitter herbs and the unleavened bread, unleavened bread in it, and they eat. It's, it's, it's uh, walnuts and, I don't know, it's nuts and fruit and honey, some sort of concoction like that. The fourth part of the Passover was the second cup, and at this Point Jesus, as the head of the table, instructed the men there as to the meaning of the Passover. Then they sang some songs from the Hallel. The Hallel or Psalms 113 to 118. And if you've never done it, I encourage you to start in 113 and just read all the way through 118. And so throughout the whole Passover meal, they would sing these these psalms throughout their meal. And this is where they would sing a couple of them, and then the main course comes out, the lamb, that is served, and they start eating the the lamb, and then verse 21 happens, and Jesus drops a bomb and says, one of you is going to betray me. And the room explodes, they're all talking all at once, all 12 of them all talking, who is it, am I the one, who is it, and they just keep going back and forth, back and forth, and um, they, Jesus does end up telling them who, who was the betrayer, but they, none of them got it. And so, finally, Jesus looks at Judas and says, go on, leave, be about your business. And then that brings us to, I think it's verse 26. Yep, verse 26. And here's where Jesus was trying to get to the whole meal. In the traditional Passover meal, when we get to this place, again, the head of the household would take bread, he would break it, and he would hand it out, and he would say, take, eat. And then they would take the third cup, and he'd say, take, drink. That's what happened until tonight. Tonight... Jesus closes the book on the Old Covenant. This is the last time the Passover meal was officially... This was the last time it was officially taken where it actually redeemed men's people. I know people today, just people still honor it. And we look at it and we study and we partake of it and think it's a good thing. But Jesus is shutting the book on the Old Covenant... And he begins to reveal the new covenant. And the way that he does that, see the the, the the men around the table, they would have been familiar with take and eat, take and drink. But what they heard is causes them to perk up because they had never heard this before. Because Jesus didn't stop there. Jesus said, take, eat, This is my body. That was new. This is my body. Take, drink. This is my blood. That was new. I think the disciples sat up and paid attention because what Jesus was saying was that this new covenant would not be based upon the slaughter of lambs, this new covenant would be ratified by the spilling of blood from the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, our Passover Lamb. A covenant with God always demands not just death, not just hitting an animal over the head so that it would die, but it demanded blood shedding because the life of the flesh is in the blood according to the book of Leviticus. And the pouring out of blood was a very graphic, a very painful, a very vivid demonstration of the loss of life. And so Jesus died to save us from our sin. But it wouldn't be just enough for him to die. He, he had to die and in death pour out blood through the wounds in his hands, the wounds in his feet, the wounds in his side. And the scars on his head from the crown of thorns. Blood running everywhere to demonstrate that the life was flowing out of him graphically and visibly. That he was offering himself as a blood-shedding sacrifice for sin. That's why Hebrews 9.22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. The bread in the cup represent Jesus' body that was given for us and Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Just as the children of Israel were to worship God through the Passover meal on a regular basis, the body of Christ, the church, is to worship God by taking the bread and taking the cup to remember that Jesus made the choice and died To be our Passover lamb so that our relationship with Almighty God is reestablished when we confess Jesus is Lord. So we just celebrated communion last week. But I want to just briefly say, talk about how should we worship during communion. First of all, remember Jesus. He's the focus. He's our pastor. Over Lamb. In 1 Corinthians 5 7, Paul tells us, For Christ, our Passover Lamb has been crucified. Remember Jesus. Give yourself a heart check. If you are aware of sin in your life, repent. Ask God to forgive you and receive his forgiveness. 1 John 1:9. 1, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't take the meal until you've done a heart check. But then, be thankful and rejoice in your new life with Christ. Communion is not a time to kick yourself for all the bad things you've done. Communion is a celebration of Jesus' work on the cross. It's a time to say thank you. It's a time to remember. Remember that you are saved by grace through faith. Remember that when you confessed Jesus as Lord and believed in your heart that Father God raised Him from the dead, you were saved. You were saved and you are saved saved. You died with Christ. You have been raised with Christ. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You stand in the presence of Father God, clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You are God's chosen people. You are holy and you are dearly loved. That's who you are, child of God. And I know things of this world get in the way of that. But every time you celebrate communion, here we do it once a month. Maybe you do it at home. Maybe you do it in your homework. Every time you do it, that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating who God has made us through Jesus Christ. Yes, he went to the cross. Yes, he died. Yes, he forgave us of our sins. But he didn't want to just leave you there. He wants to continue to make you into the image of Jesus Christ so that when he returns, you look just like him. And then we get to spend eternity with him and we get to take this world and shove it down the toilet. Sorry for my French there, but... Oh, we should rejoice, folks. Don't let communion become rote. Don't let it lose its value. We do it so much. And many of you have done it for years and years and years and years. But, it's, but, it, but we need to always remember to keep it fresh and make sure that it transforms our lives and that we are truly being those extravagant worshipers. All right, real quickly... Let's look at the last verses. Did you get that? All right, just checking. Because I'll say myself, that was good. (laughs) Verse 31. In fact, in verse 30, it tells us that Jesus and his disciples, they leave the upper room and they're on their way to uh, the Mount of Olives. And as they're on their way to the Mount of Olives, Jesus again throws a curveball at his disciples and he says, Hey, yo, you guys are going to desert me all tonight. You're going to desert me. And in fact, the Bible told us that that would happen. The sh- I will, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered But after that, after you're scattered, I'm going to be raised again. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. Well, Peter, bless his heart, I'm not going to ever deny you. Just kind of blurps it out. Right? As Peter can. And of course, all the other disciples agree with him. But Jesus looks him in the eye and says, You're going to betray me. Three times. And the sign, the rooster's going to crow. Now, I think this is very different Remember that Judas's betrayal was intentional. He chose to do that. I don't think Peter chose to betray Jesus. It wasn't an intentional act. However, when Jesus tells them and the Bible tells them they're going to be scattered, you, almost, you already have three strikes against you, right? I mean, Jesus, everything Jesus said came true, right? So he's already got three strikes against himself. But in his heart of hearts, I know he loved Jesus. Jesus enough to to that was a statement that he really believed he could do but what he didn't realize and what he had to learn is that without the holy spirit in his life without Jesus he was just acting in his flesh in his flesh and nature and our fleshly nature will always trip us up and so We see from this that what Peter needed to do was depend on the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet. And so, with this temptation, he fell, as we're going to see in the next weeks to come. But how do we respond in our weaknesses? Because I know each one of us here wants to stand up when somebody says, Do you believe in Jesus? We want to be able to say, Yes, I do. And many, we've all had the opportunity to say, yes, we do. And sometimes we say it, and sometimes we haven't. But how do we respond every time? We need to depend on the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus sent him. The book of Acts tells, Jesus told his disciples, when you receive power, you'll be able to be my witnesses. John 14 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all that I said to you. So we have to depend on the Holy Spirit. We can't do this Christian life without him. And then also, be ready. Be ready to tell people about your faith in Jesus. First Peter Peter and first Peter three. 13 he says who is there to harm you if you provide if you prove zealous for what is good but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness you are blessed and do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled but sanctify Christ as lord in your hearts always being ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you and so Get ready. Are you able to, if someone came and said, tell me about Jesus, are you, can, can you do that? Can you tell them from your life why you have hope in Jesus? If you can't, it's okay. Go home, study, and write it down. Think about your life. Think about the good things that God has done for you and why you believe in him, <clears throat> why you trust his word, memorize it if you need to, carry it around in your pocket if you need to. You can go, I'm glad you asked. But be ready. And with the power of the Holy Spirit and preparing, God will use you. God will use you. And you can be able to stand and be His witnesses for His honor and His glory. As the worship team comes Be an extravagant worshiper. Extravagantly worship your God. Get rid of those roadblocks. Focus on Jesus. Consider Him. Go to Him when you're losing strength and when you're, when you're thinking, I can't make it. Look unto Jesus and what He did. Remember Jesus, that He is our Passover Lamb. And depend on the Holy Spirit And right now we have an opportunity to be extravagant worshipers. This song simply just says, Jesus, we love you and we pour out our affection on you this morning. Let's stand and sing from the depths of our being.
0: Old things have passed away your love has stayed the same your constant grace remains the cornerstone things that we thought were dead, breathing in life again you caused your soul to shine on darkest night. all out sun, we will pour, pour out, out love. This will be a rest song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. Oh.
1: Jesus we stand here in your presence this morning. Thank you. Thank you for making the choice to take our place. Thank you for being willing to be part of Father God's predetermined plan. That he would come. He would live like us. He would experience the things that we did. And then you freely and willingly walked the path to the cross. And all of the things that got you there. And the cruelty. And that you took on our sin. You took on everything that this world had to offer. Because they had turned from you. And you took the weight of it. And you bore it. You allowed yourself to be separated from Father God and to die, to literally die so that we would never have to. But Lord, we also know that's not the end of the story because you rose again. And today you are seated at the right hand of majesty on high. You are our Savior. You are our Lord. You are our Shepherd. You are our High Priest. And may we daily, boldly enter into your throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in time of needs. May we daily run into your, to your throne of grace and fall before your throne and say we're here for nothing but just to worship you and to say thank you because you have been so, so good. And we will continue to grow in love with you more, as we learn more about who you are, as you continue to change our lives. But may it not end there, God. After we've spent time worshiping you, may we be busy about your business. And may we light a fire under us, Lord, so that you will come quickly. And we look forward to that day that our faith will become sight and we can look you into the eyes face to face and say thank you. Father, bless these folks. Anoint them as they go out into their places of home and business and, uh, and play and use them mightily as your trophies of grace to let other people know of how deep and great your love is in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. "Amen." Praise Jesus. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 10:45 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 6:30 p.m.